0: So, go vote on Tuesday. That's my admonition uh, and instruction to you. Just hear from the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> the communion of the saints. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We are in this study of the Apostles' Creed, as you know. Uh, we've, we recited it. You've seen it again. It, it If you were to divide it up, just looking at it in sections. The first section talks about believing in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Then the second section is really the bulk of the creed talks about Jesus Um, and all he's done in his earthly life and and his ascension and afterwards. And then there's a series of statements that flow out of what we believe about God the Father and Jesus, beginning with, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, which we're going to discuss today, then the forgiveness of sins, which Gabriel will preach about next week, and then uh, the resurrection of dead, life everlasting, which Scott will preach uh, the week after that, and then I will be back with you to preach on amen. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon on amen, but I have a sermon already written on amen, and it's really good. I didn't think I would ever preach a sermon on just the word amen, but three weeks from now, if you're here, we'll do amen together. Maybe we'll sing the song even. And um, then we have Advent, which we're going to do the songs of Christmas together, uh, the biblical songs of Christmas. So that's just an upcoming upcoming preview. Pray for my wife and I. Uh, We are leaving today. I probably shouldn't say that over uh, live feeds. My house will be wide open. If you want to take everything, it's there um, except for the alarm system and the Rottweiler, which we rented for the week. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just t- keep a lookout on my house. Um, I do have a son returning at the end of the week, so don't call the police immediately. Um, no, do. That would be good. That would be good. That would be fun for Adam to wake up. Um, anyway, we're going to out of town. We'll be going Thanks to your generosity, we're going to uh, Greece for a week um, from our 25th anniversary as a church, our 30th anniversary. And then Robin Shannon will be meeting them in Israel the next week uh, to do some mission work there. So, yeah, I know it's tough. It is really hard. But uh, be in prayer for us as we're gone and that we can disconnect and hear from the Lord and uh, have a great time together. So, we'll be leaving this afternoon. So, good news is you're here on a day where I have a plane to catch. Uh, so,. Uh, <laughs> Like, all right, this is great. So let's just jump right in. We're talking about the communion of the saints, but one of the things we're talking about is the the fellowship of the church, the Holy Catholic Church. I talked about it last week in two points, and then I want to finish by looking at two points today. So the two points that I gave you last week had to do with the mystery of the church. The mystery, it doesn't seem like such a mystery to us, but to Paul and to those at his time, the idea that people from different races and genders and backgrounds and economic settings, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, male and female, could come together and be equal before God was was a truth that just had been hidden for the ages. And this mystery, according to Paul, has been now revealed through Jesus. But the revelation of it is not really just Jesus, The revelation that this can work is the church. Do You understand? The revelation, the mystery, that we can all be one is not some theoretical thing that Jesus did. It is practically seen in the body of Christ. This is the mystery revealed. The mystery that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. This has been an incredible mystery that has been hidden. That's why the term holy, universal, or Catholic church is what we proclaim together, that we are one body. The calling of the church is that then this mystery is now held up to the glory of the light of Christ so that the rulers and authorities of the world will be able to see the glory of God. That God's intent how is God going to make the revelation of Jesus known to the world? It's a big question, isn't it? I mean, how is God going to do it? How is going to make the truth of this mystery and the truth of Jesus known to the world? He's got one plan. His church. His people. His called out ones. The people not, again, we looked at this last week. I hammered some things pretty hard. But unapologetically did, is that we are the called out ones. We are the ecclesia, the called out ones, not the kuriakos, which is the word that in, got translated to church, which means lordly house or house of the Lord. In other words, we went from being a people to being a place, house of the Lord. And God's intent was that the people are held up. The unity of the saints are held up together. That we are, we are, the calling of the church is this, we're called to Jesus together, out of darkness into light, we're called to one another, and we are called to declare his glory to the world. So here's our calling. We're called to Jesus, coming out of darkness into light, to one another, so that the light that we now walk in can be demonstrated to the world. It's the calling of the church. We have no other calling. You know, everything that flows from that calling is then secondary. So the church has done great things throughout its history. Hospitals, um, taking care of the poor, feeding the hungry. All of those are good, but what do they accomplish? They should accomplish the holding up to the world of the light of the glory of God. None of those are bad. They're all good. They're all things we should be doing. But if we're not giving a cup of water in Jesus' name, then there's something missing. There's a big difference between just giving a cup of water and giving a cup of water in the name of Christ. Today, I want to talk about how this... These are points three and four of the sermon I started last week. So point one, mystery of the church. Point two, calling of the church. Point three, the center of the church. The center of the church. And it has to do with the communion of the saints. It says in Ephesians, In Him and through faith. You can underline those. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. For the book of Ephesians, Paul has been building to the arguments that to the points that he's making in 3, 4, 5. He, he's building. And one of the building blocks that he has tried to make clear to the church in Ephesus. By the way, I'm going to Ephesus next week. Did I tell you? I'm going, uh, part of our trip. We're going to ancient Ephesus. So I'll take a picture or read the book. I don't know what, I'll, what we'll do. But it sounds so pretentious, doesn't it? I'm going to Ephesus next week. Uh, anyway, I'm a little excited, as you can as you can tell. Throughout the book, though, and the reason fullness uses Ephesians as really its um, theme ch- book and theme verses is because Paul has so much to say about the church in this great, these great writings. For instance, back in chapter 1, uh, verses 9 and 10, it says, And he made known to us the mystery of his will, And we already have talked about what this mystery was. He's made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. So, he's saying this mystery which was hidden is now being uncovered and it's now being fulfilled to bring all things in heaven and on earth together. Where? Under one head, which is Jesus. One head, even Christ. Skipping down to verses 22 and 23, he builds on this argument after he asks for the eyes of our heart to be open that we can know the hope to which we've been called. He goes, and God placed all things under his feet, again, Jesus, because he's the head, and appointed him to be head over everything. Why? This key phrase, for the church. For the church, okay? Which is his body... The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Here's what I'm I'm begging us to do today. I'm begging us not to overlook this important truth and not underestimate who we are in Jesus. Jesus is, you know when someone retires from a corporation, a CEO or something, or let's say a pastor. Let's say I retired this week because I go to Ephesus, and I just love it there, and I don't want a pastor no more. So I come back, and I retire, and you say, oh, Pastor Bart was, you know, he was great. He's the founding pastor. Let's make him the pastor emeritus of the church. Let's just, you know, he's the founding pastor, but he, well, he's kind of screwed him on out. And, um, well, but we'll give a title, meaning he's the pastor emeritus, which means, hey, you used to do something good for us. We love you, but you really have nothing to do with us anymore other than a name. You're a figurehead. You're kind of a, you know, someone we respect, but from a distance. You really have no say in what's going on in the present. Some of us see Jesus like Jesus came, Jesus did, then he went to heaven, and he's like the, the Jesus emeritus in heaven, just there. He's the figurehead of the church, but we're really the head, you know, we're doing it all. No, no, no. What Paul is saying is the fullness of him which fills everything in every way. This is his body. He's the head. He is controlling. He's in charge. He's our Lord. It is his spiritual presence in our midst that makes us who we are. Jesus is not out there or up there. He is right here. And he has to be the center. Now, it happens through the personal work of the Holy Spirit I believe in this day, the present age that we're living in. But all of that to say, we are to be the body of Christ. That is not, to me, just some figurative term. It is the communion of the saints, which says, with him as our head and his spiritual presence among us, we are him on this earth. Don't underestimate that. Body is not just some figurative. We are him on this earth representing him to the world. That's why, and I quoted, did this quote for you last week, I want to come back to it, this quote by Henry and I think it's so critical, the way he talks about the church, where he says, the church is an object of faith. <clears throat> in the Apostles' Creed, we pray, I believe in God the Father, in Jesus Christ his only Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, all of which we've both said and seen today. We must believe in the church. Now, here's why I want to pause as I go on. Most of us don't believe in the church. We believe that it's important to go to church. We might believe it's important to go to small group. But what Nouwen is saying is this, that the Apostles' Creed does not say that the church is an organization that helps us to believe in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No, We are called to believe in the church with the same faith we believe in God. Often it seems harder to believe in the church than to believe in God. But whenever we separate our belief in God from our belief in the church, we become unbelievers. God has given us the church as the place where God becomes God with us. God is here. Jesus is our head and not some figurative head, but his presence is critical among us. And I know that that whole quote is very challenging. I've, I've, I have meditated on that and a couple of others over the past two or three weeks, really, to say, man, I, I, I'm a pastor of a church, and I underestimate who we are in him. We live in an age that people say, for instance, I can believe in Jesus, but church is optional. I have to say to you, from everything I've really delved into over the years I've been pastor, that is both unbiblical and highly dangerous. The millennial view, and I don't want to just say millennial, I don't want to blame millennials because it's been going on since I was young, is for people to say it's just me and Jesus. And there is nothing in the New Testament that talks about an individual faith, it is a corporate faith. God is not looking for a person after his name. He's looking for a people after his name. In other words, to me, and I know it sounds self-serving for me to say, I don't think church is optional. Kind of like, well, yeah, he's got to say that. He's the pastor. You know, how's he going to keep this thing rolling if he doesn't, you know, get us? um... Listen, I, I do this not because I need to do it. I think I could do other stuff, actually probably make more money even. Who knows? Probably not. I don't know where my skill set exactly lies anymore. But I, I, I do this because I believe it is the calling that the church is the hope for the world and not church's organization but church as the people who come together with his presence in our midst that shines to the world we we are his disciples. So why Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. It, but I think what Jesus is saying is, look, here's how I've seen this at times. Look, I don't really have to do nothing. Jesus is going to build his church. You know what I mean? It's kinda, we kind of see this at times like, oh, you know, nothing I can do. Uh, it's going to be Jesus building his church. No, I, I think what Jesus is saying is this. On this revelation truth that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, the people that receive this and walk in it with me in their midst, my church will be built. I'm building it because I'm there in the middle of them. I'm not building it because it's me. In other words, if it was just him, why would he need disciples? Why would he say to his guys, go and make disciples? It's us together you with me so far? It's good. I think it's good. Because it leads to this point where I want to remain for the remainder of our time, the intimacy of the church. The intimacy of the church. Back in Ephesians 3, 6, the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of togethers here. Gentiles, Jews, slave, free, male, female, all together. Together. And the Bible talks a lot about us being together. And it uses the term one another. One another. And there are a lot of one another's in the Bible. Here are just a few. Forgive one another. I thought I'd start easy, really. Forgive one another. You know, it's hard to forgive the people who live in the same house with you at times, Um, but we're to forgive one another, we're to love one another, serve one another, support one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, accept one another, greet one another with a holy kiss, and admonish one another. I mean, these are just some of the one another's that are listed in the Bible. These are just some. I got no hope. I mean, if I'm trying to do this on my own. I mean, really, these are are really hard to walk out if you really look at these. But if we don't do these things and maintain them, the intimacy that God calls us to have will be shattered. In other words, (coughs) I, I... You know, my my goal is under the banner of Jesus for us to be one body. But I'm thinking that if we aim for intimacy, which is great, that we'll fall short because we're looking... It is the goal, but the only way to do it is at the level of one another. I'll try to be... um, not overly graphic in this entire section sexually, but I think there are some illustrations that can be used uh, to talk about intimacy. But, you know, if, if, for instance, I desire intimacy with my wife, and the only time I'm aiming for intimacy with my wife is when I'm aiming for intimacy with my wife. In other words, I never talk to her. I never spend any time with her. Uh, we never go to dinner. We never pray together. We never and then all of a sudden I want intimacy with my wife? I am not going to get intimacy with my wife. Do you, do you understand the point? In other words, intimacy is a broader subject than this, this one little area. It has to do with us doing life together, being with one another. <clears throat> my family, uh, my children, are all spread out now all over the country. Uh, we've, we've reached that empty nest stage where... I've got kids everywhere. And so, I don't know when we started doing this, but some years ago, we started this deal where, like, if one of us was somewhere special, we would send a picture of that place and just say, good morning. And so, um, my son Adam is over in Europe, and he sent us all this picture on our family group text saying, uh, good morning from Holstadt. He's in, that's actually Hallstatt, Austria, uh, where he is. I don't even know where that is. Somewhere south of Salzburg. He was hiking through the Swiss mountains. I know. Again, pretentious rains this morning. Um, So uh, he sent us this picture saying, good morning from Hallstatt." So then our family's tradition is everybody just automatically takes a picture of whatever they're doing at the moment and sends it back saying, good morning. So I, this is. This is my view. Uh, Kathy was (laughs) getting ready to go to work out. I said, good morning, Mom's going to work out. Kathy was not to be outdone. I was reading the paper in my pajamas, so she sent a picture, uh, good morning, Uh, your dad's in his happy place or something like that. And then uh, Olivia was in class. She sent a picture from being in class. Um, Caleb, according to his defense, he said he was working from home. Uh, That's what he looks like working from home. He looks like he's asleep, doesn't he? Jared was in his office. Uh, he, he said, Good morning from my office. Uh, Olivia, I mean, Annalise was on her way to class. And this was Leo at his play date. It's a, I know that's the cutest one by, by far. So, all of that to say is that this is just one way our family tries to maintain connection in the middle of disconnectedness. And it's just simple, but it's fun, and everybody seems. Engaged in, in the process. God wants us, God wants us to be together. And there are ways that we can be together. And uh, the importance of this is that um, I, I think there's some things about intimacy that are critical for the church. And one of them is that God requires intimacy in order for things to multiply. God requires intimacy in order for things to multiply. Without going a whole biblical or scientific explanation to this, uh, Genesis 1, God says, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. Only God could put the design for an entire forest into a single seed. It, it is it is miraculous how God has designed it, and I I say miraculous, but it's it's not really a miracle. It's just unbelievable how He has designed things. And and God, throughout the Bible, requires fruit bearing. From Genesis one through the teachings of Jesus, you will be hard pressed to find passages that don't have to do with god's people bearing fruit he put he wove it into the design of creation into the natural order and into his own kingdom in genesis 1:27, it says god created mankind in his image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them god blessed them and said to them be fruitful and increase in number Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and over every living creature that moves. We, We are different than trees in that trees can bear fruit with an acorn. We need intimacy in order to reproduce, to bear fruit. And God has placed his image within us. The seed of God, I believe, the imago Dei, as we've talked about in the past, the image of God is the seed of God that's been planted in every human being. And he calls on us to multiply, not just multiply physically, but to multiply spiritually. And in order to multiply the way God has designed us, it takes intimacy. It takes physical intimacy, you understand, for that to occur. Now, we're scientifically advancing to the point where it doesn't, but that's not, God's, that's not God's design. God's design is that intimacy happens so that multiplication occurs. Everybody, just nod your head. I don't want to stay here forever. Just You got it. We're going to move forward. If God's plan is for intimacy, for multiplication to occur through intimacy, what do you think the devil's plan is? Yep, Satan's goal is to get between you and others to stop intimacy. So God's goal is that intimacy occurs by us being in relationship, close, one another, the body life. If that's God's goal, Satan wants to step in between us and divide intimacy. And my contention is that in the church and in society, many of the things we see as societal issues are there because Satan, it's not that that thing is such an issue, but that that thing leads to a lack of intimacy. Let me give you some examples, because you probably wanted them. Uh, porn, for instance, is Time magazine from a couple of years ago. Um, Pornography, which is rampant. I can't even, if I start giving you the statistics, all you'll be is depressed uh, about how rampant porn is in our society. How many, how many dollars, how many, how, many, how many hits, so to speak, a second, websites that are giving away free porn or receiving every moment of every day. Uh, it, it just goes on and on. But one of the things that is... Um, critical to understand about pornography is that there's there's an element of physical response without immediate intimacy in other words sexual arousal without being in the presence of another person a real person, a fake person and it's devastating over the long term after years of pornography being now studied and, and looked at in the world, one of the th- things that's going on is that that young men have reached a place where when given the opportunity to respond sexually in the presence of a real human, a physical human, they cannot. That only, the only way they can sexually respond is through more pornography. It's a... It's a, it's a situation that's creating huge issues, as you can imagine. Um, Same-sex marriage. It's another. It's, it's, It's a type of intimacy that does not reproduce. Divorce. Why does God hate divorce? Why does God hate divorce? It's kind of interesting. If you read that Malachi passage, he says, "'Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit.'" What does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. It seems so callous to say, you know, the reason God hates divorce is because he wants godly offspring. I mean, it's more complicated than that. But what God is saying is, I wove into this design intimacy and marriage for reproduction and fruitfulness. And divorce kills all of those things. It kills intimacy. It kills... The last verses in the Old Testament it says he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Again, what is he talking about? He's talking about relationship and intimacy and As a result, multiplication. Satan's goal is to do anything he can to destroy that. Jesus enters the scene, a return to the kingdom of God, and he speaks about how God's greatest commands are what? Love God and love one another. He then talks about bearing fruit. The vine that remains in me will what? bear much fruit. The vine that's in me that's bearing some fruit, I'll cut it back a little bit, so it'll bear more fruit. He talks about fruitfulness and multiplication, but it's based on intimacy with him and intimacy with one another. Fruitfulness matters to God. Then he closes out and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, including love and fruitfulness and everything. And I'm with you. I'm in relationship with you. I will stay intimate with you. <clears throat> I know intimacy is a tough topic to talk about within marriage or families, or but especially in the church, because really... In the church, what we think about as intimacy has delved into just a loving tolerance. You know, I just, I I lovingly tolerate you. That's why we believe that small groups are critical because that's really where you get to know people, the E3 groups that we have. You really can't come to a church that runs 150 to 200. You You can come on Sunday morning, be slightly engaged, Think that people know you, but you are not really in relationship with people because they don't really know you, and you don't really know them. You've got to find a format. You, I'm going to say it again. You have to find a format where you can be known, where you can be known, and you can know others. I think anything else falls short of God's design for your life. And I I want to just be clear. You will have a million excuses why this shouldn't happen. Because if God's goal is for you to be intimate in relationships, Satan's goal is to divide us. Listen, over 25 years of pastoring at Fullness, I have heard every single excuse for why someone doesn't want to go to a small group. I've heard it over the years. And let me just say this. I have also seen the devastating effects in people's lives by them not being in relationship with others over the long haul. There are many not here this morning who have, for whatever reason, allowed themselves to walk in isolation. And when you walk in isolation you are only one step from saying yes to the darkness that is pulling at your heart. You're, only, you are, you're just right there. And there is protection, there is multiplication. It all occurs because we are in relationship, the communion of the saints. What do you believe in? I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. I believe in the communion, common union of the saints. Let me move quickly here. Um, this is my degree from seminary. Yeah, I got a doctorate. No big deal. Um, anyway, at the bottom of my degree, there are four signatures. Um, and I even had to read them this week because I wasn't sure. Uh, there's a, a, it's signed by Ken Lilly, who is the head of the board of trustees. Uh, John Newport, who is the provost and vice president, academic dean at the school, Russell Dilday, who was the president, and James McKinney, who was the dean of the school. These are the four guys who, are on behalf of the seminary I went to, are saying to me, congratulations, you did this. Only two of those guys have I ever even met. Uh, one of them I was in relationship with. He was the dean of the music school, uh, Dr. McKinney. I knew him pretty well. Dr. Dilday, I knew to say hi, and he knew my name. But he had no, past that, he didn't know me. The other two dudes, I don't even know them. Never even met them. What I'm saying is, someone stamping a signature on something for you doesn't put you in relationship with them. Even if your relationship is with them. Why? Because we live in an age where relationship is so tenuous. You know, I've heard people say, yeah, I... I know so-and-so, and it's usually name-dropping of some sort, you know, somebody big. Yeah, I know Jack Williams. Let's pretend Jack's a big deal. And, um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I know Jack Williams. Um, but you know what? In a lot of those times, all we've ever done is say, hey, my name is Bart, and we shook their hand. And it makes us think we know them. You don't know them. And they don't know you. They don't know the, the you that you are. And the only way that takes place is in a relationship in which you put yourself where you can be known. Now, things will stop. I, I, I could just go down the row and say, what is it that is stopping you? I'm, I'm pointing to people that are terrified all of a sudden. I'm going to say, what is it that's preventing you from being in intimate relationships with others in the body of Christ? What is it that has hurt you in the past? What is it that inner vow that you've made? What is it that you've come to believe? What is it that's stopping you from being that? I'll give you two of mine, since you probably cared. Um, I'll give you two instances from my middle school life. And I've shared these before, so if you've been around a long time at Fullness, you know probably these stories, but two things that happened to me that have uh, been devastating for me to be in an intimate relationship with others on a regular basis. This is my junk, but your junk will probably look similar to this or maybe even worse. Number one, when I was in middle school, my family and I went on a trip to Atlanta. We were living in Maryland. We came down to Atlanta to visit my uncle who is an attorney. My uncle was pretty affluent, as my dad's brother, very affluent guy, had his hands, he was a lawyer, had his hands in all sorts of businesses, and one of the businesses he had his hand in, he was the attorney representing what at the time was known as Underground Atlanta. Underground Atlanta, for those of you who are ancient, uh, was this kind of series of restaurants and clubs that they built underground, yeah, uh, it was, you know, the city had kind of, reached a stage on top where if things weren't great, rather than restoring, which they've done, they went underground literally into places that, I forget why they were there It's trains. Are, I, I can't remember what happened. It was already in existence, but it, they renovated. All that to say, my uncle said, let's go to Underground Atlanta. Let's go around. Let's go have dinner. And, um, I'm, I'm like in eighth grade or something. We're walking along, and I'm standing with my uncle, and the rest of my family's behind me. Just talking to my uncle, and this guy comes out of this restaurant, I thought, some sort of club, and says to my uncle, hey, Ernest, come on in. He said, no, no, okay, I'm not coming in. The guy goes, no, 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 come on in. We'll fix you up. Come on in. And I, I heard my uncle whisper to the guy that the rest of my family couldn't hear, but I could hear, I can't come in. I'm with my preacher brother. I'm with my preacher brother. And the guy goes, oh, okay, okay. Now, I didn't know what was going on in there. I still don't even know what was going on in there. But I knew I did not want to be excluded from some place because I was with my preacher brother. Are you with me? So in my heart, I said, there is no place I'm going to get excluded from. No place I'm not going into. And it affected the way I viewed things. It affected the decisions I made in the days ahead. Now, I didn't get into a lot of trouble. I didn't really go. Again, I don't even know what was going on in there. I don't know if it was a strip club or just a bar or what was taking place in there. Uh, But for a long time, I lived my life saying, I'm going to be, I'm going to give the view that I'm open to going into anywhere. The second thing that happened was, shortly after that, my dad went down to South Florida and uh, was being interviewed by this church again i 'm in like eighth grade, and i 'm by far the most reserved child in our family. My sister 's very outgoing. my brother's very outgoing. and so as a result i didn 't need to really say anything. I had siblings who said everything. Um, I mean they 'd talk to people they'd, you know in a new group, they were the ones who were talking to people, and i didn 't need to. So we went to this dinner where a bunch of people were from this church. and I've told this story, and some of you are going to be horrified again uh, from this story because you remember what, I, what happens here. I don't say anything the whole night. I'm just quiet. I don't need to. I'm sitting with my brother and sister. They're talking all the time. and Someone on that committee says to my mom, is everything all right with your son? And my mom goes, yeah, he's he, he's He's fine. Well, he's just so quiet. He he's not mentally challenged, is he? Now, this is the 70s, so they used the word retarded, which was common then. We didn't. I I know all of all the moms just cringed to be asked, "Is your son retarded?" Now, my family thought it was hysterical because in private, I was very outgoing and very talkative, just not in public. So they just, I hate to even say this, please don't put us on Twitter and you know, I know somebody got in trouble this week for using this word retarded, but they used to call me the retarded one in the family, just joking. But what it made, what it said to me was, I am gonna be the smartest one. And I didn't just say in the in the family, I said I'm gonna be the smartest person in the room. In the room. Now you combine those two things. These are inner vows I made in like eighth grade. Know where I'm not going. And when I get there, I'm gonna be the smartest one in the room. Do you know what that does to destroy intimacy with people? Well, first of all, you can't be in a room with someone who's smarter than you, because now you're, your problem is, or you're gonna be so arrogant, you're gonna act like you're the smartest one in the room. And then who wants to be with that jerk? I mean, who wants to be with the jerk who acts like he's always the smartest in the room, right? Some of you aren't even shaking your head. You're not like, yeah, I don't want to be in the same room with you either. You know, what I'm saying is we all have that junk in our lives. We all have that stuff. And if I went around the room and you were honest enough to examine the past that you've lived, you'd come to a place where you would say, there's something in my past I need healing from So that I can further myself in being what God has called me to be the communion of the saints. You see, we're all damaged goods in some way. I I had a great childhood. I mean, I had a great upbringing and a great life and great parents and uh, raised in a godly household and a great, and yet I still got that kind of junk. Some of you have much more tragic things that have occurred. It would pale in comparison to just the simple stories I've, I've told you about me. We all have it. It's why we all need each other. We need someone to say, you know, you really seem to be holding people at arm's distance, or you seem to really be making people mad, or you seem to really be mad at people, or you seem to be really hurt, or you seem to be isolated, or you... But how are we going to even say that to each other if we're not in relationship with one another? The communion of the saints. Because, again, these one another's that God desires, that is the body of Christ. With Him in our midst, empowering us to forgive and love and be fruitful and multiply and increase. And my contention is this. We need a radical shift in the way we think about church, we believe about church, about our faith level of church, and really the power and presence of God in our midst. Jim Symbolus says this. Many of our churches need a typhoon-like visitation of the Spirit of God. We need a major renovation of our spiritual lives, not just a rearrangement of furniture. Please listen to me. I think this is important. What we've said is, you know, things aren't right. So I'm going to move this chair over here. And it's not, we don't need to, we need a visitation of God in our midst. Think how whole cities and towns would be affected if Christian churches began praying for the wind of God to blow upon them. And when that happens, when the wind of God blows, what He will do when He comes is He will bring the church together. The church will be more intimate, more unified. We will start to look toward one another. And when that happens, as that happens, just buck up. By that I mean, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. As a matter of fact, I think it will get harder. It will get more challenging. It will become more difficult. Why? Why? because then our junk will rise to the surface. As the fire of God burns, the dross of our lives will come to the surface. And the things you thought you knew about me, there's more. You know, I'm just I mean, trust me. I you think, wow, Pastor Barston is really self-revealing this morning. Look, I'm only telling you the junk. I'm not so ashamed to tell you. You know what I mean? I'm not going to like stand up here and tell you other stuff that probably needs to be dealt with. And some of it I've just deceived myself into believing is okay. So have you. But when the Spirit of God moves, that stuff, he's not going to stand for it. And it's going to come to the surface. And you know what? We're all ashamed of that stuff. We've got to get over our shame and get over our us and start saying, look, Let's go back to the issue of porn. And then I'm going to finish. And we're going to pray for one another. We're going to have communion. Kathy was reading me these articles. She did a, she's at, um, where's Nancy? She's at Transformation Ministries. That's it. I got it. Transformation Ministries. And their class this week was on sexual issues and pornography. And she was reading me these stats. And look, there's no doubt, no doubt in my mind that in this church we have Huge numbers of men and women viewing porn. None. I mean, it'd be stupid for me to get up here and say, ah, we're the exception. You know, we're the only church in the world where one out of three of us is not viewing pornography at some level. I know it. I know it. You know it. You know if it's you, but if I give an altar call for it, you're not coming. You know, right? If I say, hey, everybody's struggling with porn right now. Come on to the front. Why? Because shame and lying is part and parcel of that sin, any sexual sin, really any sin, but especially sexual sin. There's a hiddenness and a lying that goes along with it. People, we've got to get to a place somehow, somehow, where the body of Christ can be intimate enough with one another where... In some sort of setting, we can share and get free from it. The Spirit of God needs to blow His truth into our midst with Jesus as the spiritual center of our being so that we can get well, so that we can grow up, so that we can be a light to the world of the glory of God. We are the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. I speak it in faith. When we come to this table right now, we are coming, our communion, our common union is with him. We're saying we all stand equal before the cross, the blood of Christ, the body of Christ. We all were sinners in need of forgiveness. Here we are. We're remembering his death until he returns. But at the same time, We're saying, we who were many are now one. We're together. This is us. This is not about me at the table. This is about us coming to the table to say we are communing with one another with Jesus Christ as our head. When that happens, I I think the church is held up to the light of the glory of God and and as I said a couple weeks ago, the nations of the world pale in comparison to the glory of the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ, when the church is the church. So as we come today, let's come in a manner that is worthy of what Christ did for us and for the truth that this means. Stand up with me. Lord, we thank you today. We bless you. We glory in you. You are a great God and greatly to be praised. And Jesus, we thank you that it is under your banner, with you as our head, with you present here among us, that we are the church of Jesus Christ. We are one, and we commune together in your midst. Lord, we thank you. I pray as we come to your table right now, Lord, that you will, you will solidify our unity with one another, that you'll make us one, that, Lord, we will receive the body, the bread of your presence, and that it will permeate our bodies to the very cellular level, just every part of us, allowing us to be one, and that through the cup we receive the forgiveness of sins Past, present, and future. And we walk in holiness and we walk free from shame. Thank you, Lord. Move in our midst, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and move among us. In Jesus' name. Amen.